Welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the Fish Nerds Podcast, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your host. I'm so happy that you are listening every week. We pick up a couple more listeners, and every single one of you is valuable. If you haven't already, hit the little subscribe button on your podcast app. Do it now, because we need you listening every single week. Today on the show, it's a good one. We have... Uh, podcaster extraordinaire Carlos from the Life, Death, and Taxonomy podcast. Hello. Uh, hello, there he is. We'll get to him <laughs> in a second. Uh, I ran into a homeless guy uh, whose name is at Smelly Bag of Dirt on, uh, <laughs> on Instagram. We'll talk to him later in the show. We have some news. We're going to play some Stump the Fish Nerds and much, much more. But before we begin, uh, just a quick, this just a quick, easy one here. This episode is brought to you by Thirst Productions. Thirst Productions is a one-man digital media agency catering to small businesses by helping them improve their online presence, from websites to search engine optimization, SEO, social media, and targeting advertising, website analytics, and website maintenance. Rich helps business speak to customers more efficiently. Uh, Thirst Productions also gives back uh, to cold water fishy conservation projects by working with select nonprofits at deeply reduced rates to help them to better share their message. So if you're a small business who needs a digital facelift, or if you work with a nonprofit and need a new online presence, get in touch with Rich at thirstproductions.com. And by the way, if, uh, we like uh, Rich. He's also our, one of our correspondents in the show. He does our fly fishing segment. Uh, and if you want to advertise with the Fish Nerds, uh, email clay at fishnerds.com, and I'd love to, to work with you. Now, time for the show. Carlos uh, is the host of, of Life, Death, and Taxonomy, and it's not your average nature podcast. This is the, the above average nature podcast. It was started to combine two <laughs> things that the hosts love. They love animals, and they love podcasts, uh, two things that everyone loves. One day, they were looking around for a podcast that just celebrates the amazing things populating God's green earth, and they noticed that uh, the pickings were slim. Uh, there are a few great shows out there that deal with animals and nature, but very few take a close look at the amazing abilities that different creatures have. And we are lucky to have Carlos Rivera with us tonight. Carlos, welcome to the podcast. Hey there. I'm actually honored to be on uh, a guest. This is cool. Isn't it fun? Podcasting is so fun because you it, get to connect with people everywhere. Carlos, where are you out of? I live in uh, just north of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, so oh, way, way down south. Oh, yeah. No, a lot of warm weather podcasters. Florida has a ton of podcasters. Yeah, it's Fun. just uh, the warm weather brings it out of you. Yeah, it makes everyone hide in the closets recording. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, first of all, Carlos, uh, so from Florida, and you make a podcast, and taxonomy really is your... Is, is the game here, life, death, and taxonomy. Why, uh, you're not a scientist. What makes you the guy to talk about taxonomy? Um, well, actually, I, I'm, I'm the co-host of this podcast with uh, my buddy, Joe. Is Joe and, the smart one? Yeah, well, he's the funny one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we initially, this isn't our first podcast game. We initially had a nerd podcast, but the, uh, the we didn't, we it didn't work out like we thought it would, so we thought we'd tackle something that was a little bit more niche. Mm -hmm. um, and both of us love animals. We love watching Planet Earth and Life and David Attenborough and everybody talk about animals, National Geographic. So we figured 
we like this. Let's uh, do some research. Both of us are um, web writers. It's funny that you that you're the sponsor today was a, um, a digital media specialist because uh, that's what I do. Oh, perfect. Um, you want to sponsor the show? Jump in. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not an agent. <laughs> I just, I, that, I just, I do that for, um, uh, the company that I work for. And so we're, one of our fortes is definitely researching. So despite not being a scientist, I, we can definitely tell you what Wikipedia and Nat Geo have to say about this, these animals. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, you know, it's funny cause I'm not an expert either on my topic. I learn as I go. And I think that's what makes you nerdy is, is that, that ongoing uh, need to learn new things. So I don't think yeah. it makes it bad for you. One of my other favorite uh, podcasts about animals is called The Varmints. Have you heard of The Varmints? Yeah, they're, they're huge, uh, good friends of ours, and we definitely shout out each other's shows all the time. Yeah, I, one of my favorite. My kids are totally loving it in that show, and I'm friends with Paul Chomo and Donna uh, from that show, and they, they're not animal experts either, right? So, But they do a great show, even though they're not experts. And that willingness to learn is kind of what... What goes now? I heard your most recent episode, and you were talking about the uh, samurai crab, and you guys made taxonomy sound fun, which I found shocking because I am not a taxonomy guy. I get lost in the Latin. Uh, so, what made you decide to kind of focus on the taxonomy in in your title and into your into your podcast? Well, it's actually uh, it was a mistake on my part because you made mistakes. I, <laughs> I thought that, uh, the Benjamin Franklin quote was, there's nothing certain, but life, death and taxes, uh-huh. it's actually just death and taxes. But <laughs> I, I wanted to play on that quote for this. Mm-hmm. And when the name wasn't taken, we were just like, that's what we're going to do. And one of the most boring aspects of biology is the Latin taxonomy. And it's often the hardest part of the episode is just pronouncing some of these things. So we just have fun with it. And well, it's, but it's fascinating too, because if you, if you learn the roots of where these animals name from, you actually can gain insight into the animal itself. It's a lot of times the taxonomy will give you how it looks, maybe what it eats, some of its behavioral stuff and other things. So it kind of, it's good to know it. It's just hard to pronounce it, right? So yeah, that's the, yeah. the, the my, crux. My background is in linguistics. So oh, well, come I like- on. <laughs> so that's why like if you listen to the show um like i do a, a lot of like practicing with the uh with the the latin names so that i get them right and so you know if i have to say any latin names here hopefully i will nail them on the first try well hopefully if not that's just part of the fun of it so you've done how many episodes so far how far in are you 14 14 One what is your favorite uh favorite episode so far this, this most recent episode, the Samurai Crab one, is a doozy. It's, uh, it's, it's really funny, actually. People will be shocked well, at how you. funny uh, Samurai Crabs are. At least the way you guys talk about them makes them funny. I never heard of them, so I was fascinated. And it's mostly kind of fascinated by how small they are. It, yeah, you know, and so that, that, that lends a lot to like the whole idea behind the Samurai Crab in the first place, how small they are. So if you listen to the episode, you'll find out like why they look like Samurai and... Uh, or why we think they look like samurai, at least. Right, because the souls of the dead samurai are inside each one, you know. And, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. a lot of fun. We'll put links up at fishnerds.com so people can go and check out your podcast. Of course, you're involved in a lot of the, uh, the online uh, podcasting groups and stuff, and so people will see your, see your stuff around and hopefully check it out. And that is Life, Death, and Taxonomy. And, and, and we're, again, we're excited to have you here. We love talking to other podcasters because – 
you get it. You know the <laughs> and there, there's no dearth of episode ideas here. Oh, you'll never run. Well, there's you know, how many animals are there? There's at least twelve. No. So you got that. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's on. at least fourteen. I've got fourteen uh, episodes. So, we're so good. you've already outdone my brain. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked you to prepare tonight. Uh, one, uh, we're going to do like a sample version. I'm going to play Joe, your co-host. Okay. And you're going to play you, Carlos. Uh, only Joe's better at it than I'm because he, he did the homework. I didn't. Uh, but, you, but you chose a fish to bring to the show tonight to do some taxonomy with. Just uh, for you. Us, just for me. And so let's. And uh, your audience. <laughs> yeah. So let's run down this. I'm calling this uh, segment The Lion Fish Sleeps Tonight. So we should. Do you sing? All right, let's not subject anyone else to Perfect. this any longer. <laughs> all right, so the lionfish, and you chose to do lionfish. Uh, first of all, before we get into lionfish, why did you choose this fish? Because I thought of an amusing anecdote from a friend of mine who encountered a lionfish and got stung. Perfect. So, I, and, I, and it's an invasive species, so there's like, you know, PSAs about it and all this great stuff. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into lionfish, and you're going to lead this segment. So you go. All right. Well, um, I'll start just, you know, it's the lionfish since we started that I way. I gave it away. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's called uh, Teros is actually the name of it. Um, I had to look up the pronunciation because it's spelled P-T-E-R-O-I-S, mm-hmm. uh, which looks like Pertois. Um, <laughs> Sounds French. Uh, it's also called the zebrafish, which I see, like, remember as a different fish for sure. Um, well, there's a freshwater zebrafish. That right, that's what I think you'll, of. you'll find in, like, uh, in fact, they use them very commonly in scientific studies, zebrafish. They're very easy to reproduce, easy to keep alive, and you just see them everywhere. So, but This seems to be a common, like... I guess misnomer for the lionfish is the zebrafish, which is ironic because lions hunt zebra. Oh, that is ironic. Um, and then, so you have the firefish, turkey fish, and butterfly cod. Which I know. Is also wrong. <laughs> yeah, way wrong. Well, fish names are stupid. And that's why. <laughs> I remember fish. your fish names are stupid episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, I have a more of those I have to do. I just haven't got to back to that. But that's why the Latin names are so important for fish because that's really going to tell you who we're talking about, right? Right. So. It's Kingdom Animalia, as that is a given. Right. What's um, your favorite kingdom? The Animalia. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's like plant and fungus, and then there's one other one, but we, we focus on Animalia. Mm-hmm. Um, the phylum is Chordata, because it has a spine like all fish. Yes. No, all fish. no not all fish. Not all fish? No. <laughs> Man. No, the funny thing, well, we'll talk about this in a minute, but I'll, I'll cycle back. But no, not all fish. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, the class is actinoterigy. I was, I was reading that and I, was, couldn't, I, I would not have said that. There, there is a P-T situation, so I, I treated it like a pterodactyl. Like pterodactyl. Yeah, much on, yeah. And then you have um, the order, scorpaniforms. It's, uh, yeah, well, informes. It's formies. Oh, oh, do you do the, the E there? Well, that's how Doc Martin does it. And I trust her because she's okay. a PhD in, in this stuff. So. I, will, I will defer to Doc Martin yeah. every time in that case. <laughs> Me too. Oh, <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of other orders that have, like there's the pisteriforms in birds. So now I'm going to call them pisteriformes. Yeah. And you could tell Joe to suck it. And that's how it's said. And okay. It. I will. He's not here. So I'm going to write that down actually. Yeah, suck it, Joe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The family is um, Scorpanidae. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've seen Scorpion in this. Yeah. 
Um, so there's scorpion fish. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the rockfish is also in this family. Mm-hmm. There's these venomous spiny fish. Yep. Uh, the genus is uh, Tarawis, like I said before. And then the species that I wanted to talk about specifically is Volatans. Volatans. Cool. Which is the one that's here in Florida, mostly. It's like 97% of the lionfish that are here in Florida are the red lionfish, which is what this is called. Where they're beautiful. Yeah, oh, they're beautiful fish. Absolutely gorgeous. That's why people bought them and put them in tanks and then decided not to have them and then put them in the ocean. And then, yeah. Yeah. Now, they're not invasive everywhere because they have to be no. native someplace, right? That's, they've got to have a home. <laughs> yeah. They're native to uh, the Indian and South Pacific Ocean. They have a pretty wide range there, but it seems like they, uh, from what I could find, they were introduced to the warm Caribbean waters in 1980. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about their spawning habits, which and just the fact that they're difficult to kill, and they kind of become these pseudo apex predators, um, which make makes it so that they've absolutely overrun the entire Caribbean and all of the uh, the U.S. or the North American Eastern Seaboard and a good portion of the South American Eastern Seaboard, and they're moving, and they're mo- they keep coming more and more north every year because of the ocean temperatures rising, and so every little bit of rise in ocean temperature, you get a little more north migration of the lionfish. Yeah, it's like from uh, Newfoundland to Rio at this point. Yeah, um, but less so- less up in Newfoundland. You're not going to have this man. Right, they're, they're, they're making their way up there. But. No one's really scuba diving and spearing them up there. They're not bothering with them yet. It's not, but they have found some up pretty far north. Yeah, their range is extending. Um, so I'll start with their appearance, just in case yeah. you've never heard, uh, if you, the listener, have never heard of a lionfish, never seen one. Um, I encourage you to go look it up if you're not in your car. Um, <laughs> just text and drive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, so they get pretty long. I, I guess for, well, I'll actually take that back. Saltwater fish get pretty darn big. So um, they get up to 18.5 inches long, um, which is pretty big for a very colorful fish. Yeah, I think for, 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 a fi- for this style of fish, it's like an aquarium fish, that's big. Yeah, it, for you sure. Know, you know, that's, that's why they're brought around. So you wouldn't have an 18 and a half inch uh, lionfish in your aquarium, which is the problem. It's right. Aquariums that get dumped in the ocean. So, but that's a big... For this this kind of fish, when you see these big spiny fish, that's a, that's a big one. If they got bigger than that, they'd be really scary. Be yeah, scary. and they would be even more problematic. I'm and sure. we we have a segment on the show that we call Measure, where we find we find if something has a certain length or weight, we find an interesting comparison to it. So yeah, you were finding it gets with your uh, with your crab. You kept. You were using like grains of sand as measuring tools and yeah, you know, uh, thicknesses. And, yep. Yeah. So what, how are you going to measure this lionfish? So the lionfish is like maxes out at 18.5 inches, which is two fifths as tall as Kenny Baker, the person who played R2-D2 in Star Wars. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to nerds here. I love it. <laughs> we're on fish. I would, by the way, um, and it's also, I would not have known Kenny Baker. I would not have known that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd in fact I just debated wearing a Star Wars shirt but since you're the only person that can appreciate it then it's okay I'm wearing a Avengers shirt That's, yeah. uh, so the other thing for uh, 18 and a half inches is that it's eight and a half times taller than a golf tee 
So part of this is to be funny. Um, also part of it is to actually give you an idea of how long this thing is. I think it's um, great. I, I, on the ice, we see measuring tools like that all the time. Ice fishing, if you go on any of the Facebook groups for ice fishing, people will use uh, beer cans to measure fish. They'll use their glove, their boot, uh, dollar bills. So for fish people, using odd things to measure is normal. I, you know, I oh, God, that fish is two beer cans long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can, that sounds like it's about two and a half. Maybe three beer cans long. I think three and a half inches, inches is a beer can. Is a beer can? No, oh, yeah. So that pretty much means uh, three. So a beer can, right? Three. <laughs> Maybe five inches. Maybe you're right. I don't know. No, I left mine in the other room. I know it's. Well, so I'd like to see a beer can. It's 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 a little bit. Okay, a beer can is half my foot. But this, these ratios aren't getting us anywhere for finding inches. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll move on to the weight. Yeah, get to um, the weight. It can get up to 2.8 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is actually kind of light. Right, that's, that's, that's uh, five quarter pounders with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or two times heavier than a basketball. Oh. Or one fifth as heavy as your average toilet. Huh. I, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so next time you pick up your toilet, imagine it being 135th as heavy, and that's your lionfish. Perfect. <laughs> 135th. God, if only Does I had more lionfishes. No, it doesn't help at all. Terrorus <laughs> volatans, the red lionfish, is one of the largest species of lionfish available or available around. Um, it's usually reddish brown, like a, a more brown than red, um, with white stripes or vice versa, white with reddish brown stripes. I'm not sure. The classic um, argument. Yeah. Well, with zebras, they found out that they're definitely black with white stripes, but I'm not sure how it is with the lionfish. I can't believe you um, just know that. <laughs> it's, it, it's, this, is, this is my new passion. <laughs> uh, also, I, I, like, I, I go to Disney World a lot because I live three hours away from it and they have that whole safaris thing and at each time they tell us that they're black with white stripes. I think it'd be um, funny if they switched it back and forth every time and <laughs> you just happen to go on every other day so you heard the same thing every time. But if you came on Tuesdays, it would be the opposite. That would be perfect. And then and there's debates in the street still to this day. Thanks to Disney. Thanks, thanks to, to Disney World. Bastards. <laughs> Um, so, uh, if you, uh, a, a lionfish essentially looks like a ball of spikes, uh, with a fish in the middle. Uh, it has three dorsal, sp- 13 dorsal spines, mm-hmm. two pelvic spines, and then three special anal spines. Nice. The best kind of spines. The best kind of spines. Yeah. <laughs> the most venomous spines. Yeah. That's where I keep my venom. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the name of my next indie folk core band. Yeah. Anal spines. I love it. <laughs> Every week uh, seems like we come up with a new band name on this show. So I love coming up with band names. It's perfect. Yeah, it's, it's easy. Um, and one of these days I'll actually do it. Yeah, I just got to learn how to play my, an instrument. <laughs> with our uh, Weemba Wops and in the Lion Sleeps Tonight skills. The, the new hit cover. Um, so these spines are... Um, they're not tipped with venom, and they also don't inject venom. There's venomous tissue underneath the skin, and whenever a spine goes into a predator or your hand, 
it rips off that delicate skin on the outside of the spine and exposes you to the venomous tissue. And then you start to get nauseous. You start to throw up. Uh, and the anecdote I was talking about earlier was my friend just grabbed one because he didn't know what it was. And it was moving so slowly that it didn't like swim away from him. So he just grabbed it and his hands, each one of his fingers swelled up like cu- cucumbers. Oh my God. And started like throwing up into his uh, rebreather. Um, and he had to surface and he was sick for a while and took a while for his, for his hand to, to go back to normal. And he showed me pictures and it was horrifying. Uh, that, um, that, that, um, that sounds terrible. Now, so the, the venom is a neurotoxin. And it's, and it's a super common venom found in lots and lots of different species of fish. But in a lionfish, it happens to be more concentrated. It happens to have more of it than most fish. So, so like we're in New Hampshire, we have, a, we have a fish called a margin mad tom, which is a three-inch catfish. Uh-huh. And it has the same neurotoxin as the lionfish in its dorsal spines and its uh, pectoral spines. Uh, but when you get stung by it, it just feels like a bee sting. Right. Because it has so so small a dose of it, but uh-huh. the lionfish that dose that that whatever that flesh that gets under your skin is concentrated so much that your reaction is way way bigger. So, um, but it's a common common neurotoxin. It's so not it, really good at delivering it. It's not apparently it's not super lethal. Like very few people have ever um, like experienced really really bad side effects. It's just really really unpleasant, mm-hmm. and it, so it's nothing like a puffer fish where I think one of those has enough venom to kill 30 humans. So uh, at least we're safe in that department. It is among the most venomous uh, fish. Yeah. This, along up there with like the stonefish. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they definitely will hurt you. <laughs> uh, so keep going. Um, so uh, we talked earlier about its habitat. Uh, that it's native to Indian and South Pacific waters. Um, and then now now it's all over the eastern seaboard of North and South America. Um, but here, here's their mating, or their spawning habits that make oh, them so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> where some fish... Sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't can't get away from fish sex. They do it. They do it a lot. Oh well. And wait till the news comes up later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, but so uh, sometimes fish spawn like once a year. Um, sometimes more seldomly, and sometimes well, more. The ones that do it once a year are married. They're. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna rip on that, but that's great. Um, so the, these guys, they well, when they lay eggs, it's like twelve to fifteen thousand eggs, and it kind of uh, is this gelatinous blob that floats around in the ocean, and they can do this every four days. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Got to recharge. It takes me four. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like every four days, they're laying twelve to fifteen thousand eggs, and. God. If they make it past adolescence, they become this ball of venomous spines that are really difficult to take care of if you don't have hands or a spear gun. So it, it, that's why these guys have kind of just made their home where they're not welcome. And they're, they're, um, 
their competition with like the grouper and the snapper for uh, for prey, and so they're kind of destroying that whole delicate ecosystem. Because if I know anything about marine biology, is that it's a delicate ecosystem. That's <laughs> all we know. <laughs> what else is it? It's all we so, know. So you got these, you got these, these sex machine, venomous, beautiful animals. Yep. Right. They're just like these sex robots. Like we're on the ocean. <laughs> Doing it like crazy, laying tons of eggs, and you can't eat them if you're a fish because it will hurt you. Right, but their flesh is—I—I'm not a huge fish eater, um, so I'm a, I'm a catch and release person. Mm-hmm. Um, all, but part of that is because I've been like food poisoningly scarred by fish, so the the taste of it is like uh, I get flashbacks. Um, but you get it like uh, apparently the. That. Yeah, I, I need some like uh, EMDR or whatever the traumatic therapy. Um, but apparently, their flesh is is, is they're like really good to eat as long as you get past the spines. Yeah, I and mean, that's what I've heard too. And there's been a lot of efforts to market uh, to market lionfish as a food source. And the concept is like if you if you could find a market for these fish, we can fish them to extinction because everything there's a market for as humans we wipe out. But We're good uh, at that. It's not catching on. <laughs> it's, it's very slow to catch on. People aren't excited about them. Well, and, and there's loads of fish fraud going on in like fish marketplaces and places and stuff like that. So, like, why not have that be the fraud fish? <laughs> yeah, exactly. you think you're getting, uh, you, you think you're getting some like you know high class fish, um, and you're really just getting lionfish. And the average like fancy rich person can't tell the difference. Well, the average person can't tell one fish from the other. Most there's there's basically three fish that people eat, right? They're gonna eat cod, they're gonna eat salmon, and and like some other kind of scrod type cod type fish. They don't know what they're eating. So <laughs> they don't care. And and all they all most Americans tell you is, well, I don't eat that kind of fish because it tastes fishy, you know, and Mostly, they just don't know anything about fish, and so they only eat, <laughs> only eat the fish their grandmother cooked when they were a little kid. So I was thinking, like, if McDonald's or one of these bigger, really big restaurant chains would grab the lionfish as their main fish for fish sandwiches. So instead of using, like, Alaskan pollock, which is what McDonald's uses for, for, uh, for filet of fish what if they did filet of lionfish? And then... And then because their market for that is so huge because it's, it's McDonald's, then there's a chance of wiping out those fish. But Plus, like, if just like independent awesome. markets do it, it's not going to work because independent fish markets don't, make and don't sell enough fish to wipe out a population. Yeah, but McDonald's definitely does. McDonald's does. Yeah. By the way, have you had a filet of fish recently? No. No, because you don't eat fish. They're terrible. I'm just going to no, say they're terrible. I'll say it out loud. They're terrible. And I've never seen a fish that's square before. So that's whatever shape those are in, I don't know how they get that off of fish. It it just it's a it's a very special kind of flounder. The the North Atlantic cube flounder. <laughs> <laughs> and it swims right up into McDonald's headquarters. That's right. It breads itself and fries itself and puts a piece of American cheese on top. Because oh, that's, that's the perfect fish. Mayonnaise, good to go. <laughs> But filet of lionfish sounds epic and awesome. It, it does. And and I, I feel like it, it's easy to market. Oh my, it's lionfish, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't not? like that, you can always use one of the other common names for it, right? So, like turkey to- fish, <laughs> delicious for Thanksgiving, or butterfly cod. <laughs> yeah. 
or yeah. firefish and Fire. just put some like crushed red pepper on it. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> so here, here's an interesting fact I found about this fish. Usually on the, on life, death and taxonomy, we uh, hone in on like one very specific behavior or trait of an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, so it's more about the trait than it is the animal. So the first person will kind of just do the rundown, the taxonomical breakdown, appearance, habitat. And then this, the second person will talk about this like crazy trait. Um, so I won't get super into the trait, but uh, one of <laughs> they're the only fish that blows water at their prey to have the prey turn around and look at them so that the lionfish can eat it. So it's wow. like some so sort like, of like, like, hey, 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 gulp. <laughs> like just it's there. like a horror villain where oh they like God. make a sound and the person slowly turns around and by the time they turn around, they're dead. So it's like, I feel oh like it's uh, Pennywise or something like that. I love it. Psst, hey, kid, come here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Arr, God damn those lionfish. And wow, they, what a nightmare. <laughs> it is a nightmare. Plus, it's for a fish to turn around and see a lionfish. That's... <laughs> It's horrifying. <laughs> so if you're a fish who just uh, ignores things behind them, you have a good chance of not getting eaten. Yeah. Because lionfish are face eaters. Right. They. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now, because there are so many of them, they're cannibals. They're eating each, they're, they're, they've switched to eating each other. So that's good. kind of like a, uh, something that, they, that that species didn't used to do. So, so they, they, they turn and they blow on their, hey, hey Joe, Joe, Joe. <laughs> then, they, then, they, then they eat each other and then they complain about the soreness in their mouth. Just, yeah. Yeah. And then, they, and then they have lots of sex. Yes. And I'm going to have sex with you. Then I'm going to blow on you. Then I'm going to eat you. <laughs> it, yeah, I guess in that order, it works out perfectly. It is the perfect scenario. I'm next time. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm tonight. That's my, my wife and I. That's my plan. <laughs> We're going to have sex. <laughs> I'm going to blow on her. Then I'm going to eat it. <laughs> perfect. That's, what I, got on, that's, that's what I got on the lionfish, yeah. Right? That's, that's fantastic. Kind of like a, a little sample snippet. Uh, obviously, uh, in the our actual episodes, we try to keep them just right at 30 minutes, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but you did a great job. And, and interestingly is that took almost the real time as your show. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm just I, more. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not paying. I, I don't have it clocked right now. Uh, it's all right. Hey, nice job. So you could find your podcast anywhere podcasts are found and the podcast is life, death and uh, taxidermy. No tax. <laughs> 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 life, death, I have a new show. I'm going to start. <laughs> Taxidermy. I, I, if I was a professional taxidermist, I would totally have a podcast about that. Well, yeah, I can't think of anything scarier than that. Uh, and that's got to so, be pretty niche. It very niche. Yeah, uh, life, death, and taxonomy. Find that wherever you get your podcast. All right. So that great line stuff uh, chat there, Carlos. Um, do you have any sponsor in your podcast? Anyone paying you to make your podcast? Uh, nope, just coming out of pocket. Out of pocket. And making a podcast is not free, right? Nope, it is absolutely not free. <laughs> but you give it away to your audience every week. It's because I love my audience. Yeah, and I do too. And I give my show away, away every week. I've been doing it for five years, almost 200 episodes. I've given away for free. For free. But now I need money to keep this uh, pirate ship floating. We're going to sink if we don't get some cash. And the way we fund our podcast primarily, we do have a couple of sponsors, but the biggest way we fund it is through listener support. 
And so we're funded right now mostly through our listeners at patreon.com. Patreon's a crowdfunding site like uh, Kickstarter, but for like ongoing art projects. And so if you go to patreon.com forward slash fish nerds, you'll find our page there. Uh, we work hard every week to bring you an hour of fishy entertainment. And the question for you, is an hour of fun worth $1? If you say yes, and we think it is, we're asking you, our listeners, to give us $1 per episode, $4 a month. Helps keep our show going. You do that, I'll mail you some Fishner's decals. Patreon, Patreon.com slash Fishner's. Um, and you can do other rewards are there as well. Your money pays for production costs, recording equipment, uh, helps us make a better podcast. If you give us $2 per episode, $8 a month, I'll mail you a Fishner's Who Rag official who rag of the fish nerds podcast at five dollars an episode which is kind of high 20 bucks a month you'll get a fish nerds beanie uh at 25 dollars per episode that's expensive right that's a lot of money mm-hmm. but you'll get your business name mentioned here so uh our friend josh lopes at lopestax.com uh is paying us 25 bucks a week to say lopestax.com so i'm gonna say it, lopestax.com if you're in New England and you need an accountant, uh, <laughs> drop him a line. Uh, he's been supporting us for over a year now, and Fish Nerds have been going to him and giving them their money. So it all works out like it's a circle of life. We're just like the Lion King of podcasts. Lion or the Lion Fish. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so Patreon.com slash Fish Nerds. Uh, podcasting is a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. But I think that we are valuable and Gosh darn it, people like us. We deserve to get paid a little bit of money. And uh, someday, someday I'm going to earn enough money to take my wife out for dinner. Until then, <laughs> up next on the show, I was walking around North Conway, New Hampshire the other day and saw this ugly blue van. Gross looking blue 1982 like Chevy van, like a box truck. And had a, 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 a real house door bolted to the side of it. And on the and it was painted blue, and and it said uh, mobile massage services. And I thought, who was in that van? That's insane. <laughs> and all I could think of was was Saturday Night Live. I'm thinking, now let's get started by letting me give you a little bit of a scenario of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old. I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. (laughs) So, (laughs) but on on the side of this van, there was uh, an ampersign, smelly bag of dirt. And so I went on Instagram and I took a selfie of me with the van and I said, at smelly bag of dirt, I hope you're enjoying New Hampshire. And sure enough, he replied, I love it up here. And I said, great, can I talk to you? And I and I so that I I got to interview him today. I talked to him about living uh, the van lifestyle, what it's like to be uh, homeless on purpose, living in a van, rock climbing, ice climbing, and we talked about fish uh, and and smelling bad and all the things you would expect <laughs> us to talk about. Uh, and up next is my interview with Eric at Smelly Bag of Dirt. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be in North Conway. Yeah, we're glad to have you, and it's fun. I've been seeing your van around town, and and uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious to see it kind of sticks out in the Conway tourist traffic. Yeah, super intriguing. All right, so so first of all, Eric, uh, your last name's what? House. House. And where are you from? You're not from New Hampshire. You're not from these parts, are you? Uh, I'm not uh, from New Hampshire. I definitely did a lot of growing up in New Hampshire as a kid. I did grow up in Massachusetts, so not too far away. What part of Massachusetts? 
I was from Burlington, Massachusetts. Burlington, the coat factory town. Coat factory. <laughs> there actually is not a coat factory in Burlington, but we do have them all. Yeah. That is our uh, claim to fame. Yeah, what a crowded place to be from. And then you're up here in, in Conway, and uh, from what I can tell from your Instagram, which is at Smelly Bag of Dirt, you are way in on skiing and ice climbing and kind of living this kind of van lifestyle. And I, I we're inside your van recording live, so today the van is the studio. Uh, you call it a trash van? I call it the trash can van. The trash can van. And so we're sitting in the trash can van, and it's kind of awesome. Reminds me of a um, ice shanty on wheels. All you need is holes in the floor, <laughs> and we can be fishing right here. Yeah. But it's got everything. Refrigerator, it's got a stove, it's got a bed, heater, all the things one might want to live comfortably. And so you're doing it, living the van lifestyle. This is very trendy right now, though, isn't it? Oh, it is definitely becoming a more of a trend there. You're seeing a lot of like very elaborate van conversions going on. Uh, mine is a little bit more unique in that sense where it's not so much elaborate. It's more just like recycled materials. And most of the stuff in here that I have collected is actually from the trash. Uh, most of the stuff is all recycled and free. So it's a little bit different than the like full blown out van conversions. But yeah, it is becoming a little bit more trendy right now. The elaborate images and escaping the, the normal lifestyle. Right, there's two kinds of van life people. There are the people who come from a lot of money and have the cash to spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars on converting a van. Right, they buy a fifteen thousand dollar van and spend fifteen thousand converting it. Anyone can do that, by the way, if you have thirty thousand dollars. However, then the other kind—that's you, the people who pick up a five hundred dollar van. I'm guessing pricing, uh, and and then it's throw four hundred dollars. Oh, excuse me, <laughs> I was giving you credit, yeah, and then <laughs> and then throw money into it uh, to make it your own. I love that you collected everything. Um, you know, what we call that lifestyle, freegans. Freegan. That's the freegan lifestyle. So you're like, <laughs> what's free? I want that. I'm going to yeah. put that in my van. Uh, and so you're living that life. You're living the van life. How do you make money? How do I make money? I try to make money when I can. I have a couple of forms of income over the years. Um, you know, one thing over the summertime is I do some scuba diving. I uh, work for a company down in New Hampshire, and I go in there and harvest invasive plant species. I've been doing that for the last three years. So that's kind of funded some Wait, of my So t- give me some of the species you harvest. Uh, so we go in there and we uh, harvest invasive plant species. So that would be like milfoil and uh, fanwort would be the two that we're going in harvesting. The Phragmites at all? And what was that? Phragmites ever? You ever get Phragmites? I'm not familiar with it's what like a Phragmites is. It's like a, uh, a reed that grows in the marshes and it okay. takes over. So you harvest these and, and you get paid for that. Yeah, that's my summertime job. I've been doing it's that for, a little, for two years. Uh, it's kind of good to work for six months and then you have the funding and then I kind of just... Either don't work in at all, or I try to get some fun jobs, maybe some freelance photography to just kind of like bridge the gap between the seasons. Yeah, that's amazing. And and so you really kind of have to really be careful on, on how you're spending your money and how you're planning yes. ahead because you can't make that much money. No, <laughs> doing no, I that. definitely don't make them. Uh, I don't make very much money. It's trying to you know cut down uh, reoccurring expenses or just like living a very frugal lifestyle. Right. Are you a fan of um, Saturday Night Live? Of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I've watched a few of do those remember, episodes. Do you remember Chris Farley? Chris Farley. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're probably going to find out as you go out there that you're not going to amount to Jack Squat. <laughs> you're going to end up eating a steady diet of government cheese and living in a van down by the river. It's not oh a bad God. lifestyle, though. I mean, some yeah. people kind of knock that as a van down by the river being a negative thing. Yeah. I've had some great nights waking up by the river in the van. It's been a very nice time. Did you ever get hassled by anybody? 
I've had a few hassles, especially with my van in particular. Um, you know, it's, it stands out. It's really a... Uh, it's like a mid-80s Chevy? Or? Yeah, it's 83. It's yep. got, you know, 50 different colors of blue. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks a little run down. It's got a door on the side of it. It's like very different. So I think it, uh, people are more confused by it than anything. Um, I haven't had any too bad of issues with people, but it definitely gets questioned in certain areas. Yeah, most people are pretty cool. They just want to talk and they're interested in checking yeah. out what you got going on here. So you're kind of like a gypsy, right? You're just traveling around, yeah. earning some money, living your life, doing your thing, living free, which is pretty great. Uh, how old are you? I'm 23. 23, so perfect age for it. You know, no kids yet, nothing to wreck your day. No. So you just, <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I sent you a message today going, hey, you're free today. I'm like, yeah, it's raining. I'm not doing anything. I'm bored. <laughs> Let's get together. Today, no skiing. That's really, if I'm doing anything, it's either skiing or rock climbing. Mm-hmm. And so right now with uh, the rain, kind of no skiing, no rock climbing. So it's kind of my down day, catch up on some, you know, photography work I've been trying to get on, maybe go to yoga, or stretch out, get ready for the next adventure. Right on. And so you're skiing, you do. You do backwoods, right? I'm guessing. Yeah, I do yeah. primarily. Really, uh, backcountry skiing, so I, I don't, you know, use lift serve to uh, access terrain. It's all on foot, human powered adventures. Right now, you telemarking or you traditional? Uh, so this is kind of like a growing skiing trend, which or is a uh, alpine touring, which is like a a lot of the technologies used are fairly. Um, newly developed so you have the ability to somewhat telemark ski up with you have the free heel and then when you get to the top and you're ready to go ski down you would then lock the heel and remove uh, your ascending skins which is a you know piece of material you put on the bottom of the ski to ascend up the mountain and then you take that off and ski down like a regular alpine setup yeah pretty amazing and what a cool way to live you know to live your life now what happened you as a child to make you hate society so much I can't say I hate society. I mean, I'm in here in North Conway. I'm interacting with people. I mean, I, I definitely like to get out and escape into the wilderness and, you know, live in these wild places and explore the beauties of the area. But um, I'm not trying to run away from the society. I do I do tend to avoid cities and, like, busy commotion areas. I feel like there's you know, a lot Being of- in Burlington, Massachusetts, having been there. Yeah. If I was there for any length of time, I would live in a van too. I just, to be honest, like, it's a terrible, crowded yeah. space. Yeah, it really is. I did go back for... Um, you know, a week, uh, around a month ago, because I had to replace the engine in the truck. So I went back and returned back to home, uh, which is in Burlington, Mass. And I, it really did, like, jog my memory as to, like, why I left places like right. that. Okay to visit. Now, so you had to get a new engine for your van. Did you buy a brand new engine and put it in here? I got, I got a remanufactured engine, so I got a pretty good deal on it. And the story behind the engine replacement is actually, like, pretty interesting. And uh, it kind of comes back to the, the Instagram page and the storytelling I've been getting involved in. And uh, so with that, one of the, one of my followers for my Instagram page is a shop owner, and he contacted me saying, "Hey Eric, I see what's going on with the van. You know, you got some engine trouble, and uh, I do own a shop, and um, I'd love to see your adventures continue. So why don't you, you know, come on down and maybe we can work on it together? And I'd love to help you out if you uh, if you need a hand." So he helped you out, gave you a bargain on it. You learned a lot because you helped install it. Yeah. So which means when it breaks, you can theoretically fix it, right? Yeah, I feel like way more comfortable on that engine. It was very intimidating going into it, but you know, having the shop owner, which is uh, his name was Brian, he runs the Accurate Automotive in Burlington, Massachusetts, and he was a great help, and he taught me a lot. And I feel like from that lesson and going through that, I'm now like very capable of uh, you know fixing almost anything with the van which is amazing and with a relatively new engine in it you're also your confidence oh i can go anywhere now because it's not chugging along anymore it's going just fine right yeah i was having trouble just even getting around town but actually uh next month where me and two of my friends are probably going to go to uh moab utah 
do some climbing. So uh, we're going from barely being able to get down the street to go to the bar, even just go to the ski hill. And now we're taking this thing cross country. So it's going to be a pretty big adventure and a good break in period for the engine. Well, beautiful. Now we have to bring this back to fish in some way because we do our fish podcast here. Sure. I mean, I, I really want to talk to you because I thought you were interested, uh, interesting. Uh, and But I have to, my audience is fish people. Absolutely. So tell me, how has fishing... As a, as a child or in your life or dealing with fish in any way made you better at being a homeless guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh growing up i definitely went out fishing a lot with my stepdad he'd always bring me out we had a little uh, kayak we'd go out in a little rowboat and i always remember things just going wrong but uh you know so maybe we're going out with the the goal to fish and it was always going out to fish but what i've learned from that is that you know it's really not about the fishing that we're trying to do. It's not like the going out and fishing. It's going out and we're like spending time with people that we enjoy and being out in the nature. And um, so I've learned that, you know, going out, it's about... <laughs> it's about <laughs> so, but from, you know, going back to the fishing and like how, how this would relate, um, you know, things are always going wrong. I do remember that to be a large part of fishing. Going out there, we'd bring like three rods, and by the end of it, you know, one of them is unspooled, the other one's broken, we can't get the hook on another one. And, you know, we're sitting out there, we got a uh, line wrapped around our fingers, and we're just kind of bobbing for fish, and uh, still having a good time with it. So. Yeah, and it's funny, you think about, you reminded me of like fishing with crappy gear, right? <laughs> so you're, you're fishing, you're, you're, all your rods are broke, you're down to just a piece of string with a hook on the bottom yeah. of it. The fish don't care. They don't know what you're holding. They don't know what's above the water, right? Yeah. And so now you're living this kind of lifestyle, right? You're doing what you want to do, and life doesn't care what you're driving or where you're living. It cares that you're interacting with it. So it kind of it's the same, the same kind of thing. You got this kind of smelly bag of dirt <laughs> thing going on yeah. here. So it's really great. And tell me a little bit. You, you have this sign on your side of your van called Mobile Massage. <laughs> uh, do people call you and mis and hire you for massages? Is that uh, Does that actually happen? It's, it's more just like it towards a joke. I okay, mean, yeah, because my wife, my wife says, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting in there." <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, that's the big thing that I think has uh, turned a lot of people away. But also for me, it's like kind of a good, uh, you know, test to see if I'm going to get along with somebody. If they look at it and they go, "I see that sign. I know what he's doing." The van is incredibly creepy. Yep. It's already just like bring it over the edge. Right, it's like having level. free candy. Yeah, yeah. Only yeah. that's a that's too far. So if you take it serious. <laughs> I mean, it's this, nothing about this lifestyle is serious. No, it can't. You know, be. I'm out here skiing and climbing and just having fun. Like it, it's not about being serious. It's about just enjoying life. Oh, it's and perfect. So I mean, if you can't really take anything too serious. So. Well, you're at the right age in your life to do this. You know, it, it, it'd be interesting to see here where you are in 20 years to see. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but but either, no matter where you're at in 20 years, you're going to have this story to tell. And so, do you have a plan for telling this story? You're Instagramming right now. But are you writing? Are you doing anything to tell your adventures? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So I do I do keep a, a pretty big journal. I've documented a lot of my stories and adventures in the past. And I've, I've written about some of them on Instagram. And I have started to develop a website as well. And the brand kind of revolving around my um, theme, Stay Wild, which is on the back of the van. But uh, I would like to compose, like, a larger story at some point. But right now, I'm just kind of living it. And I'm, I'm currently writing the story. Well, Hey, Dad, I can't see real good. Is that Bill Shakespeare over there? Huh? Well, actually, Matt, uh, Ellen and I have encouraged Brian in his writing. Dad, I wish you could just shut your big yapper! <laughs> now, I wonder, Brian, from what I've heard, 
You're using your paper not for writing, but for rolling doobies. You're gonna be doing a lot of doobie rolling when you're living in a van down by the river. And keep it going. Well, that's really cool. And so any final thoughts for listeners, if they're thinking about, hey, I'm thinking about selling everything, moving to a van, hitting the road, what, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to take with me? What's my, my, what do I have to do? What's the secret? Well, I mean, the secret, I don't, that's a, that's a big one, a secret. I think for anything, and I get contacted a lot about how you do this, like what are the steps to doing it? And what it comes down to is you just got to do it at some point. There comes a time where you can think about it all you want, you can plan and do all this, but it comes down to it, you got to just do it. And when you're doing it, come up for a reason why are you doing it so like what gets you psyched what gets you stoked like why are you doing that and focus on that not how to do it or why to do it i mean just like figuring out like you know what's the reason for it for me it's for skiing and climbing so i'm out here doing that and this lifestyle helps support that so figure out what the lifestyle is you want to live and then go live it you know and that's really true for for everything is just stop thinking about things so much that you don't get them done just go do the things gotta just do it do the things <laughs> all right eric at smelly bag of dirt on instagram <laughs> uh, we appreciate your time i know it was kind of a weird thing but i just i couldn't i was excited about this so absolutely. thank you absolutely me too yeah thank you i really appreciate this man yeah. i'm sick and tired of living in a van down by the river <laughs> Up next is Stump the Fish Nerds. Uh, we have a call-in segment to our show, Carlos, called Stump the Fish Nerds. If you call 607-378-FISH and leave your fishy question, we will do our best to answer it. We got a phone call today from the crappy hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas. I'm going to play that right now. Hello, Fish Nerd Nation. This is Crappy Hippie. Your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas, and I have a stump the fish nerds question. Now, up there you call them kibbies. Out here in the Midwest, we call them perch, but what we're talking about is the smaller members of the sunfish family. And my question is this. How come bluegill can cross so readily with small members of the sunfish family? Bluegill cross with long ears. They'll cross with pumpkin seeds. They'll cross with warmouth rock bass. Green perch, in fact, a green sunfish bluegill cross is done on purpose to create a copperhead, which is a real high-powered hybrid for ponds. Other members of the sunfish family, black and white crappie, spawn side-by-side, side, but they don't tend to cross. Different sorts of bass don't cross, even if they're in the same lake. Why is bluegill so ready to cross with pretty much everything in that small perch or that small sunfish zone? That is my question. Tight lines and valentines, peace out. Uh, his question basically is, uh, he's asking, how come members of the sunfish family, like bluegills and pumpkin seeds, readily hybridize, but other members of the sunfish family, like largemouth bass and smallmouth bass, hybridize less? That's his basic question. And, and it's a really good question. When we talk about hybridization, you know, we know what we're talking about, right, Carlos? Hybridization? Yes. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Hybridization be like uh, if, if um, let's say a donkey and a horse have a baby. It's a mule. It's a mule, right? It's a hybrid. Okay. I know now, what you're talking about. Now, now, is that mule a new species of animal? No, because it's infertile. 
That's right. It's not even a species at all. It's it's a mule, right? It's an ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but within the, within fish, you see the same thing. Sometimes you'll get fish that hybridize, and they'll have basically mules. So a lot of trout species will 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 uh, interbreed. You end up with a really cool tiger trout or something like that, and that trout, generally speaking, is not going to ever make babies. Although that's fish are funny because they, they they that rule gets broken pretty quickly. Um, but his question was, is why do different sizes, uh, different kinds of sunfish hybridize with others? So like a bluegill and a pumpkin seed will hybridize and you'll get some kind of blue seed or I don't know what they call them. Uh, and pumpkin gill. Pumpkin, a pumpkin gill. I love the same sound of that. And you'll get a pumpkin gill. Uh, but why won't a largemouth bass and a smallmouth bass hybridize? hybridize? Or why not a largemouth bass with a bluegill? So those are all really good questions, right? Mm-hmm. So... So I did a little bit of research on this, and I went to the World Fishing Network. And <coughs> I'll put links up at fishnerds.com. And they said natural hybridization or crossbreeding between various species of sunfish is super common. In fact, popular sunfish, uh, bluegills, red ear sunfish, and pumpkin seeds, uh, and more, uh, are known to cross with other species of sunfish at one time or another. And it's sometimes really hard to tell them apart. Now, if you're looking at these fish... And this is, this is not from there. This is me talking. Looking at these fish, uh, they're all very, very similar. Their spawning habits are similar. Their habitat they live in is similar. Uh, and, the, you know, and the way they make their nests is all very, very similar. So that similarization, I think, is why those guys hybridize so close together because they share that habitat. And uh, bluegills particularly are desperate to have sex. They love having sex. And I think that's the same with, with all... Um, Pump with all the, the, the sunfish, traditional sunfish you think of. In fact, I know that most spawn twice a year. Uh, bluegills, in fact, will even uh, change how they look to sneak in. And so, have you heard about sneaker males? Yeah. Sneaky males. Sneaky males, right? So, so bluegills are really funny. The, the way they mate is the, fe- the, the males will build these big nests of reds, and they'll have a harem of females on these reds. And one big bull male will mate with all these females. Now, the other mm-hmm. smaller uh, bluegills that are males will try to swim in there and mate with them, and the bigger bulls will beat the snot out of them and chase them away. So they do okay. is they physically change their appearance to look like a female, and they, and they will swim in, and that big bull will be like, oh, another chick, come on in. And they sneak past that male, and then while he's guarding the nest, that sneaker fish, sneaker bluegill, will mate with all the females <laughs> while that big brute is guarding stuff. that uh, Cuttlefish do the exact same thing. Well, that's why they call them cuttlefish. Because they cuddle while they're, they're pretending to be, while they're dressed in drag, essentially, anim- like, you know, nature's drag. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect, right? So it's, it's a great adaptation. And so they're so desperate to do that. And they don't care, it seems that they don't care who they mate with. <laughs> so to speak. So they'll do it with, you know, they don't care if they're bluegills or long ears or, or pumpkin seeds. Uh, now, the problem is if a bluegill and a bass tried to mate, largemouth bass, which are in the sunfish family, they're also a lot larger animal and they'll eat. <laughs> so the, the, rather than, you know, if you look at a, a pumpkin seed or a bluegill, their mouths are small. But bass, largemouth bass, they call them that for reason, have these huge mouths. So they will eat the, the sunfish. So they're out. You know, the best way to stop your, your sex life is to kill your spouse. And it ends it dead right there. That's why I haven't done it yet. So, sexual cannibalism. 
edit point here. Uh, so they <laughs> wreck my podcast. Uh, so, so they will, they will do that. So, but the question is now is why don't largemouth bass and smallmouth bass hybridize? And the answer is uh, location. Given the chance to do it, they will hybridize. They do, you know, they will do it. But generally speaking, they're, hi- they're, they're spawning in different habitats and they live in different habitats. So because of where they live, they're less likely to interbreed. So it's kind of simple as that. I found a great old article from, uh, from Illinois.edu with from 1950s, some scientific stuff that outlines hybridization of sunfish species, including largemouth bass and smallmouth bass. And if you want to read that, you can go to fishnotes.com where you'll find a link and you can dig in deeper on that. And if I'm wrong, which is very, very likely, call back and tell me I'm wrong and we will dig in further on this topic. But that is Stump the Fish Nerds. Again, call 607-378-FISH to be part of the conversation. Ask your fishy question here. No fishy question is too dumb or too small. So just call them in right now and we'll love it. All right, so up first here, Fish News, first story is from Nat Geo, and they're asking the question, why do whales get so big? Science may have the answer. So do you already know this answer, why whales are so big? I do because I, I read the Did you know before so, you um, I did not know. No, so. I, haven't, I haven't read it yet, so you can help with this. So <laughs> This speaks a lot about my ability to no animals for my podcast. <laughs> yeah, you just read it one time, you got it. All right, so marine mammals have evolved their whopping size for, for a reason, and it's not what we expected. So I'm curious what they expected here. It's by Kerry Arnold. Uh, land mammals can get plenty big, but to find the plant's true giant, you'll have to take to the seas. And by the way, I think um, our size is a huge adaptation for humans. Imagine if we were small enough for birds can use, we'd be in big trouble. Um, in a new study, scientists show why ma- marine mammals have to find a happy medium between getting enough food and producing enough body heat. Uh, previously, research believed that marine mammals could be so large because of the buoyancy of the water frees them from the constraints of gravity. Although this freedom may still be a factor, Garrity says that this, his results show that marine mammals need their heft to keep themselves warm in the chilly ocean. So they're big for warmth. So that's right. from now on, when I'm eating that extra cheeseburger, I live in the north. What is that noise? Do you hear that? The noise happening right now? Yeah, hang on. A, hear pop up, a pop-up ad just jumped in my ear, ear holes here. Not, I don't think it's on my end. I just turned it off. All right, three, two. All right, so next time I'm eating the extra hamburger with the chocolate shake, and my wife gives me a hard time about it, I'm going to say, we live in a cold climate. I have to keep warm. And so really, <laughs> basically what they're saying here is these animals are huge because if they weren't huge, they would freeze to death. Right. And I guess that makes sense. <laughs> but, well, but Nat Geo being what they are added a lot of words to this. <laughs> the, I, I, they, the next thing is that it's not that they can be big because of the lack of gravity. is that they have to be big so that they don't freeze to death. That's really, it comes down to that. The body mass equals more heat. More heat equals you don't die. So <laughs> simple. That's why they should move to Florida. Yeah. So is that why we, is there a lot of whales in Florida? Not really. Not large whales, right? You have, you've got dolphins. Yeah, we've got, we definitely have dolphins. Um, 
and occasionally a whale comes down here, but it's not really part of their migratory path. They're right. usually up there in, you know, the Northeast. Right. They come down there when they turn about 60 and retire, and then they rent a place on the beach for six months a year, like New Smyrna, and then they come mm-hmm. back up. That's what yep. I mean. And they, uh, it, it makes it more difficult to get to work. Yeah. Hey, speaking of di- difficult to get to work, our next story from Disclosed TV headline is scuba divers hospitalized after he tried having sex with a giant clam. There we go. Yeah, Are that's you? real news here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God. And looking at the clam here, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know how to explain this. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a good explanation for, well, not a, not, a, not a justification, but a good explanation for this. Well, let's take a look. Uh, so he's been married 14 years. A scuba diver is being hospitalized at the Caillou Hospital in the island of Hawaii after he inserted his penis into a giant clam. Uh, <laughs> While well, recreational diving, Sean, 22, he's kind of young to be doing clams, uh, was transported to, to the hospital after suffering from severe breathing complications, vomiting, and extreme swelling and low blood pressure. Doctors <laughs> believe physical contact with a giant mollusk have triggered his allergy to seafood <laughs> and exposed him to high levels of arsenic. Wow. So it wasn't the big clam that hurt him. It was his allergies to seafood. It, it, oh, it oh gets, my God. It, it just keeps getting better. This is a beautiful story. It's like a love story. The scuba diver, whose condition was stabilized, said he inserted his penis inside of a clam as a prank to impress his friends. Uh, I, I, I'm really interested in his friends here. Uh, it was a joke at first. My friend was filming, so I wanted to impress him and put my dick in the clam. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but, but then it just wouldn't let go, he told reporters. <laughs> the amateur diver also admitted he was still hung over from the night before and had consumed GHB and ecstasy. Okay, so he was hung over, there, drunk, and hey, hey what is, what is um, GHB? It's, uh, it's a psychedelic drug. And ecstasy is a sex drug, right? Oh, uh, the bo- yeah, both of those are like club drugs that increase libido. Yeah, one thing I know, diving and ecstasy go perfect together, uh, which impaired yep. his judgment at the time. It didn't hurt or anything. It felt warm <laughs> and cozy inside the clam, but I was afraid of my oxygen reserves for getting low, he admitted. <laughs> I don't know how you're reading this without losing it. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to. Uh, after eventually releasing himself from the clam, the young man later developed a severe allergic reaction and was rushed to the hospital. A doctor believes that the diver's body reacted to, to the digestive enzyme of the giant mollusk, which was possibly trying to digest the man's genitals at the time of the incident. He admits <laughs> is <a> fir- <laughs> he admits it's the first case of its kind, uh, and he has seen in 22 years. So, wow. Um, Allergies to seafood are fairly common and usually occur after ingestion or fish of shellfish, not after sexual intercourse with self shellfish. I like it, it says it doesn't usually happen with shellfish sex. <laughs> <laughs> Although this is the first time he's ever encountered something. Right. Uh, a fatal incident occurred in uh, the Waikiki Aquarium in Honolulu when an aquarium employee put his head inside of a giant clam and lost consciousness before he could be rescued, confirming the local record. Uh, reputation for mollusk as a killer clam. Uh, in Hawaii folklore, the clam goddess Wawa, oh, come on, uh, Wawa Yura <laughs> was forcefully impregnated by the Aqua Aku, the shark god, but snapped the shark god's genitals as revenge, leaving him emasculated and thus giving birth to natives of Hawaii. So, 
Uh, That's a really violent birth of a people. Uh, it is. It is. But uh, wow. So a couple of problems with this story. <laughs> Just a couple? A couple. There's a few things. I've, I've, this, in, first of all, well, I'm I, I, actually Carlos. I, I I don't even know what to say about this anymore. I've, I've there's a lot. I love this story. A lot of problems. I love this story. This is not the first sex with sea creature story we've told in this podcast. A few weeks ago, we had a uh, a guy who took the stomach lining of a of an angler fish and put it over his hand and masturbated with it and got infection. Uh, oh, there's man. been lots of similar incidences where people have had sex with octopuses and got infections. So. There's a moral here somewhere. Yeah, I I'm think struggling so. to find it. <laughs> it's, it's there. It's uh, don't, don't watch what you put your penis into. Yeah. I think is what the is what the moral of the story is. Yeah, don't like. But first of all, like you're diving with your friend, and the most impressive thing you can think of <laughs> to do is to put your penis in a clam. You either a need new friends. Or B, deserve whatever happens to you. I just imagine his like friend going, yeah, go ahead and do it. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's video of this somewhere. Yes, there is. And it's probably explicit or, or it at least has the uh, those like black box over him. So. Yeah. So is it wrong that I want to see it? <laughs> no. Um, the, the interesting thing is that he couldn't, his friend couldn't go to Mon because they were scuba diving. Uh-huh. So maybe it was just like a hand signal, like, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea what you're about to do, I think. Yeah, yeah God. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Yeah. He probably, <laughs> your friends are horrible. And at 22, friends are the worst. We're yeah. Still, as 20, each other. Being 22, hungover, and um, still kind of tripping on ecstasy, you, your friends really show their true colors. Yes, All of the colors. More, more colors than you thought that you could show because you're on ecstasy. Yeah, my God. Who dives in ecstasy? That's just bananas to me so hey speaking of bananas and sex uh next story here let's move on from that i got nothing else there uh this is from heritage.com uh the ultimate selfie scientist baffled by genetic diversity in weird fish that fertilizes itself the mangrove killifish of florida this is one of your fish uh, is only one of two vertebrates that can intimately befriend itself <laughs> and so how come they're not they're, they're not an army of clones. So, it's a beautiful little killifish. They're just a tiny minnow. They're a top minnow. Uh, and not only can the mangrove killifish fertilize itself, it prefers to. Prefers to do it alone. Uh, it must have some <laughs> really good internet access. <laughs> this should translate into killifish. A, yeah. <laughs> this should translate into a high degree of genetic uniformity in any given population of them. But scientists report that the pinky-sized fish are not the own, not are not the army of clones they had expected from a species that proliferates on one-on-one contact. Literally, it doesn't even want to have sex. Now they're trying to figure out how this can be. So the question is: is if you're only using your own sperm to reproduce with your own eggs, why mm-hmm. is there is there diversity in your population? That's the question, right? Yeah, you'd think that. Yeah, it would definitely be just clones. Yeah, and the reason that we the reason we have sex with other people is for diversity. We want to mix up the gene pool a little bit. Yeah, so, and that's why you don't have. That's why incest is not good for genetic diversity. Yeah, or for anything else for that matter. Or, or, or for you know anything yeah. else. It makes makes Thanksgiving very awkward. 
you know, <laughs> it's a terrible show. Why do, do, why do we do this? So, mangrove killifish and other self procreator uh, that intimately befriends itself. I'd like to say befriend itself. It's so weird. As the scientists politely put it, are hermaphrodites. The egg with the mother's genes gets fertilized with the sperm from the mother's genes. Mother's eggs meet with mother's sperm, and the rest is navel gazing history. Uh, which begs the question of how this fish, which is anomalous in a bunch of other ways to achieve the kind of genetic diversity reserved for species who routinely have sex with others. So what's it say here? I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I'm going to edit. The, uh, the, giant, the giant African land snail actually is, does the same thing. Really? Yeah, I'm, and we're going to do an episode on it probably soon so i can't wait just about this <laughs> i can't wait yet lynn's and colleagues at wsu stanford university and the university of alabama found a remarkable amount of diversity uh comparing 15 uh, lineages of this fish we found more areas that were heterogeneous and heterozygous than we expected if you just follow the logic of something that has been mating with itself for so long. So how is it happening? The answer is they don't know. <laughs> Maybe they have a lot of mutations. Maybe the killifish notice when there's a, a stranger in town and makes them, it makes them hot. Uh, and the team observed when the hermaphrodite killifish are exposed to killifish of different lineage, whether a rare male or unrelated hermaphrodites, they are likelier to lay more eggs than when they only see their brothers or sisters. Uh, so, so basically, it, they're reproducing with themselves. When a new person comes in, they suddenly squirt a bunch of eggs out. They get excited. And okay. somehow, <laughs> somehow that allows for enough, they're, they're guessing, enough for mutation to have diversity in the fish. So it sounds like this article is written prematurely and they don't know anything. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of, hey, look how hermaphroditic this fish is. And then at the very end, it's like, and that's, that's all she wrote. So if fish in the news could be clickbait, this episode uh, is full of it. Uh, if you click through that link for the, uh, <laughs> the killifish, you will be disappointed because you will pop up windows all over the place. I'm not even convinced it's real. Uh, it's not that interesting anymore now that I read it out loud. The, uh, the, the clam one, though, that's clickbait that just completely follows through and it's sexy it's <laughs> uh, start to finish it's a perfect story it is beautiful in every way and it's uh, tremendous so uh carlos thank you so much for coming to the podcast appreciate your time thank you today. for having me so that's it you've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you definitely should have been fishing and we'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast uh go fishing and do silly things that nerds do. Definitely nerdy. Special thanks to uh, Eric at Smelly Bag of Dirt on Instagram. Definitely go to Instagram and follow Smelly Bag of Dirt. Carlos, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast from Life, Death, and Taxonomy. You can find that everywhere you find podcasts. Please check out the show. It's a lot of fun. It's nerdy. It's really well produced. I like it a lot. It's, it's on the top of my list of, of weekly shows now. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me on this show. It's, it's an honor to follow up uh, 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 Wally Pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often, unless you're an invasive species. You wrote that. Uh, <laughs> never trust a free lunch with strings attached. 
and swim oh. against the current every chance you get, unless you're a young salmon. Then you swim go. with the current. Swim any way you want to. You could have said um, spawn early and often all by yourself. Like most yeah, I, I had already <laughs> written that in there because I talked about evasion. So. Yeah, perfect. All right, Carlos, thank you so much. <laughs>